Welcome to the Unearthing Betrayal podcast with Nathan and Whitney. We are the authors of Unearthing Betrayal, Navigating Deception and Choice in the Aftermath of Sexual Infidelity. In our podcasts, we discuss a variety of topics that couples face when historical sexual deception has taken place in the relationship. Not everyone who experiences betrayal has the same history and relationship reality we have. However, we see the importance of sharing what our journey has been like with others facing this type of relationship crisis. In today's episode, episode two, we discuss that's not mine to carry. And we're going to cover topics that we have experienced in our personal relationship with deceptive narrative and what that's looked like for us in our relationship. Nathan identifies as a sex addict. Um, He has been in recovery now for about four plus years. And we're going to go through a little bit of the historical stuff that we have done, um, managed, struggled with, fought against, and what that's looked like a little bit um, in our personal situation. We realize that not everybody has the same situation or the same outcome that we have, but we do want to open up our story to others and discuss what it's really like um, when you come face to face with finding out that your partner has not been honest with you in your relationship. Let me also say that we are not licensed professionals. We are just two people that have been through a terrible experience and we really don't want anybody else to suffer unduly. The things that we've experienced and the the trauma and the pain that um, I've inflicted on Whitney, I I'm just wanting other people to know um, that there is hope and that there are choices you can make to to make this process um, be a little less painful for your spouse. And I think for me, that's what I want to convey. We feel it's important for individuals to hear both of our voices, um, to hear our sides of the story that... Um, we're both learning now is true and together in the future we can write one story as to what our historical reality was, um, the story of what got us to where we are today, um, and, and really how we are determining to write our story in the future. The narrative of relationships is critical what you believe to be true, um, what you believe to be yours and your partner's story makes all the difference in, in the reality of staying or leaving the relationship. We understand that a lot of um, individuals have the same situation that we have because some are in the past Most likely in childhood, um, an individual was taught to live out a deceptive narrative. And I'm going to ask Nathan some questions. Um, He's going to answer those questions for you as best he can. Although the answers in your story might be a little different from ours, or you may currently not have any answers in your story and you're looking for them, 
We are hoping that by sharing the details of ours, you get a deeper understanding of some of the things that happen in deceptive relationships, and that helps to give you enlightenment. So I'm going to ask Nathan to give some history about how he determined um, that he needed to be deceptive in relationships, how he came up with the conclusion um, that deception really was probably in his best interest to survive in intimate relationships. I think I learned very early on that if I were to be honest and tell about something I had done wrong, I probably was going to get in trouble. So if I told a lie and I didn't get found out, then I wouldn't get in trouble. So really it became very early on I learned that it's probably just better to lie because you may get in trouble or you may not. And so then I knew that that was probably what I was going to do and I carried that throughout my life. So then different things would happen such as I was abused by my babysitter and that was not a scary thing for me. It was something that I enjoyed and because of that I knew that I should not tell that truth and it was better just to keep that inside. And that was the narrative that I laid out. I know that my mom would not approve of that type of uh, activity. And so therefore, I learned a very early age to keep that quiet and to keep that lie to myself. So um, how old were you when you ended up being groomed um, and abused? What was going on in the conversation around what was happening to you at that age with you and with the abuser. I was around eight or nine years old when that happened. And I honestly don't remember her saying things like, don't tell your mom. I think I just inherently knew that that wasn't something that I was supposed to do. Um, we didn't talk while it was occurring. Um, it would happen in a dark room. And it even occurred right really in front of my mom. She just didn't know what was happening while she was um, sweeping the a rug. And so I think that's another thing is it, it was um, something that was exciting and, um, and it, was, it created a heightened sense of experience because it was happening right there and she had no idea what was even going on. So as the years have gone on, I just realized that there are certain things I needed to talk about and certain things I needed to keep to myself. And that's how I lived the rest of my life up until approximately three and a half years ago. What did it feel like for you knowing that you were deceptive in your most intimate relationship? While you carry those secrets, for me personally, it was a terrible thing. I would really hate myself for what I had done and I, how I dealt with it myself, I would go to God and ask for forgiveness and I would um, feel really bad about who I was, that shame-guilt cycle that I would feel. And I would ask for forgiveness. I would feel like I, I knew that based on what I read in the Bible that I would be forgiven, yet I never told anyone else. And so I now realize it's, it's when it, it says in the Bible that you are to ask for forgiveness and then stop right there, go to the person that you've sinned against and ask for forgiveness from them. And that's the part of the equation that I never did. And so um, I would feel um, 
at first I would feel okay, like this is the right thing. I've asked for forgiveness and I'm, and I'm all right. But I knew at the same time I'm carrying around this story internally that you don't know about. And it really felt terrible. I mean, I felt like um, I knew internally that I was a really terrible person at, at, at some points. And then at other points, I I could completely lie to myself and say, no, I'm, I'm a really good guy because I did terrible things in the past, but that's not what I'm doing right now. And so really it's not that, um, not that bad. And that's what I told myself. That's how I survived and that's how I was able to continue pretending to be this great husband that I wasn't. Part of my journey going back a couple of years now is really starting to un- dis- just unravel and, dis- and discover some of the things that I used to really try and control the narrative. And that was things like blame shifting, making you the bad guy by not trusting what I was saying and trying to make you seem like you were, didn't know what you were talking about, fact shuffling and really saying things like, that's not what I said. Uh, and I even sometimes believe that wasn't what I said, but I now have a f- fuller picture of, I think I said one thing, I would say something else because it may not have been something that was really going on. I was trying to change a narrative of what was happening. Um, trying to be more of a victim in this. And I, I can remember lots of times being in front of therapists, especially where I was really now the victim instead of you because I was getting it right and I was doing the right things and I was now living this different life. And really that wasn't the case. It was still a situation where I was still in hiding and and um, and I wasn't being honest with you. And so I was controlling what was really happening at the time. Um, stonewalling and gaslighting. Gaslighting to me was um, something that I became very proficient in of trying to make you feel like you had no idea what you were talking about. And I think it's very confusing for us, for a partner, especially before everything is really truly uncovered because you have known this person to be somebody else. And then now you have these bits and pieces and questions and you're unsure. And yet your spouse, um, the person that's betrayed you is making you seem like you don't know what you're talking about and um, that you're the one that doesn't know what's going on and you're the problem. And that's something I became very proficient in to try to keep you off my path and keep my secrets to myself. Another thing that I really got proficient in was team building and trying to get people on my side so they didn't know my real story. I only gave them the same information I was giving you. And I would make it sound like I was getting things right. And you were really the holdout at this point because I was doing the right things. I was um, being this different person, yet you still wouldn't come around and you wouldn't uh, give me another chance. And and the issues were really you. And it happened with my kids. It happened with friends. Um, it happened with some of your friends, where I wanted them to know that I was the one getting it right and you weren't, yet I still hadn't come clean and told the truth. I think from my perspective, 
the gaslighting and the minimizing of the damage of what you'd actually done left me feeling like I didn't know how to even speak about what had happened. I didn't really necessarily have um, a language to uh, speak as to my experience to somebody else. It took me a very, very long time to come up with the ability to say out loud what I knew of what you'd even done. You know, in the beginning, I only had a portion of the truth, a very watered down portion of the truth. Um, you would move into this victimized stance, this pathetic, woe is me, you know, kind of this covert narcissist, you know, pity me, come rescue me, comfort me stance. And then if I didn't move in quickly enough and, and rescue you in the manner you wanted me to, you would become kind of defensive and, and um, this, this controlling, you know, stance then would appear and, and, you know, it would almost be punitive if I, if I didn't, you know, heal in the way you wanted me to heal, if I didn't show up for you in the ways you wanted me to show up for you, then you became punitive. And, and then these threats to my safety, even though they were subtle, were presented to me. You know, if, if you don't do this in a certain amount of time, then I'm going to have to take this action against you. I'm going to have to control um, your outcome because I can't necessarily control you. So instead of you focusing on you managing me and me managing your discomfort and what you've done, it became, okay, well, I will fight for custody. I will fight for finances. I, I don't know, you know where you're going to have to live, where you're going to have to go. I don't, I don't know how um, your refusal to repair with me in the ways that I want you to repair with me will impact the rest of your life. And so it's very confusing when you have all these different presentations of, of really the same thing. It's, it's all deceit. It's all deceptive, abusive behavior to, to get me to not find out the truth because the truth then may um, enlighten me enough to make decisions for my own best outcome, to, to create boundaries against you and your behaviors, to, to begin to say no to things that I had said yes to in the past, to, to role shift with you, to change um, my relationship standing with you in ways that I needed to because those were actually ways that were protective of, of me and my future. And that's something that's happening on the betrayed partner side, even though you're not necessarily aware that that's going on because the narrative of deception is still at play in your story. What do you think was the true catalyst for you to end the hiding that you were doing for so long? It wasn't working. All these things that I was doing really wasn't working and um, the, the to me I've, we've talked about it in the past on these podcasts the thing is you have to do a full disclosure and when you do that full disclosure and all the information gets out that to me is the, is the starting point that's when things are really uh, real because all the information is out and at that point true healing can start to occur it's just a very basic um, starting place once the full story is out then healing can begin. But it's also because 
I was, I couldn't continue with the way things were, just like you couldn't. I'm sitting here watching you in pain every day. I know that what I'm doing right now isn't working, and I'm being told that um, the ways I'm seeing things aren't clear, aren't correct. And so I know I have to begin to see things differently. And through counseling, I think that to me is one of the most important things where I really got challenged on some things, uh, not by just by you, which you were challenging me as well, but it was also by somebody else who said, hey, these ways of thinking, the ways that you're responding, this is how it's, it's, it's affecting her. And I think hearing that from somebody else, and for me, it was a man, I think it was really a powerful thing that, hey, this, it wasn't the same misogynistic conversations that guys have. It was a real conversation about, hey, these are the things that you're doing and this is how it's affecting her. And can't you see when you do this, this is the result that occurs. And beginning to uncover some of the ways that um, the lies that I had told myself that, hey, by doing this, you're actually protecting her. It was doing the opposite. And some of those, some of those, Things are the ways I began to start really realizing that um, what I was doing in the past wasn't, wasn't, these are the reasons why it wasn't working. I knew it wasn't working. I just didn't know why. I also got into a men's group where there was other people, um, other guys like me who were all seeking the same type of freedom I was. And although our stories were different, we all wanted the same outcome. And Part of that process was guys helping each other. So we would um, bring a story or bring a situation that we were dealing with to the group and different guys could respond and talk about um, the things that they've learned and, and reasons why um, whatever's happening is occurring. And, and then the therapist would give their opinion as well. And so really, I think you can learn from each other uh, because maybe it wasn't something I was dealing with at the time, but I would be, or it would bring up thoughts about a similar situation. And so those are the types of things that I was beginning to pick up on and realize that, hey, these ways that I'm reacting, the ways that I'm um, stonewalling you and the ways I'm making you feel like you don't know what you're talking about or being defensive, that's always been one of my um, go-tos is is becoming defensive and and making sure you know that that's not the way it is um, and how that's really coming across to you. Um, it's not like I'm going to teach you something and enlighten you and all of a sudden you're going to have this aha moment. That, oh, I see what you're saying now, Nathan. And um, that makes sense. It's not that way at all. I think it's important that we mention that rarely does somebody with this history of deception just outright tell the entire story of what's taken place all at one time. You know, discovery is the process of the betrayed partner finding out information in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Disclosure is the process of the betrayer giving information um, to their betrayed partner Oftentimes, we have found in our experience and in almost everyone else's experience that we've encountered who struggle with um, addiction and integrity abuse issues, that the story is the smallest amount of detail possible. 
that's what's given. It's a portion of the story. That's not the full story. So in our personal situation, our discovery and the actual disclosure, uh, therapeutic disclosure that Nathan went through, we're 21 months apart. So uh, there is a huge piece of time where we're actually trying to gather the information that we each need to heal individually. Uh, we needed to heal um, our relationship, and it's still being done wrong. I'm still being deceived. Um, I'm still only working with a very small portion of the story, and it never leads to healing. You cannot stay in deception and expect healing to take place. And I really think Nathan thought he was above having to come fully clean. I think historically I had been such an available partner, um, such a present partner in his life that he really had determined that he was not um, going to have to give me all of the information. I was not entitled to the information and that I would just get a minimal amount of the truth, heal beautifully, love him the same way I had in the past, and and we'd ride off into the sunset. Um, And that's just not at all the way that healing, true healing occurs. So I think it's critical for us to be honest that in the process of him being in the right programs, um, subjecting himself to um, therapy, um, even even a therapist who is, is a specialized therapist, a, a certified sex addiction therapist, he still determined that being in hiding, living in deceit was his safest option. I think it's important for guys out there to know too that the lie that I would tell myself is that she can't handle the truth, that I'm protecting her and I'm actually doing her a favor by not giving her all the information because she couldn't handle it if she knew it. And that is one of the biggest lies that I told myself and I've heard other guys say as well. That is not protecting her. That is not helping her. That is not um, in any way, shape, and form a benefit to her. So if that's the thing you're telling yourself, I can tell you right now, even though you probably believe that what you think is correct, it is not. And it's only from this perspective can I say that, that that is, a, is one of the probably the biggest things you can do to prevent your healing, her healing, and you healing as a, as a couple. Really, after discovery, we put boundaries in place around our relationship that we said that we had agreed to. We made some negotiable boundaries, things like when to check in, um, our responsibilities to each other. And then we made non-negotiable boundaries, things that um, just could not be crossed, things that were not going to be tolerated moving forward with relationship. And Nathan continued to break those boundaries. Um, And as he did that, over time, I had to then create new boundaries and he had to have consequences. One thing that I believe uh, for my, as the betrayed partner, one of the greatest successes, I think, um, for me finding freedom and for me showing the reality that I would go ahead and I would put these consequences into play, I followed through. 
I made sure that he understood I wasn't making up something that wasn't real. I was not going to let him get around um, the situations of safety that needed to be honored moving forward in our relationship. And so he had very heavy consequences um, each time that he would breach one of those boundaries. That, for me, really kind of helped me to grow in the strength of I was able to live out the values that were important to me. I was able to say that that this is a line you're not going to cross. This is a value I'm going to honor. It brings me dignity as a human being. It dignifies you. It dignifies our relationship. And if you continue to plow through the boundary that we've set together, we've agreed to together, then I am going to back away from relationship. And that happened on more than one occasion. On, on more than one occasion, I had to basically just say, I'm pulling back from relationship. And I did that for a length of time, um, each time that that would take place in, in those moments, um, I really was able to, to see that that's what had to happen. I couldn't rescue Nathan from his discomfort. I couldn't save him from the situation that he single-handedly had created in our life. And I did have to protect myself. I had to stand up for myself. I had to stop self-betraying by allowing him to do whatever it was he wanted to do to control me and to control um, the healing pace of our relationship where we were headed. So that is something that we had to go through for a length of time until he actually got to the place where he realized that this relationship was was falling apart. This relationship was in serious decline. Um, it did not look like it was going to heal. I, I was not promising him anything. I was no longer offering hope um, that we would heal together as a couple. I believe that personally in our story is when he realized he had to disclose and he had to come clean. I do want to say that this, because you do disclose and come clean, it doesn't mean that everything's going to instantly be better and and things are just going to work out the way you wanted them to. It's a process. It's a long process. Three and a half years ago is when I disclosed, and we still struggle today. There's still areas of our relationship that are still healing and there are still things that we both struggle with that we um, want to be different and that we know that for the best outcome for our relationship need to be different. And so it's, it's still a process. There are certain things, though, I think you can do as men to try and help. Um, one of those things is to really try and grasp the idea of uh, the word abuse and understand that the ways, if you are dealing with these things and these are ways that you've treated your wife or your significant partner, these are abusive. And it took me a while to really understand that. I, When I think of abuse, I think of physical abuse or I think of emotional abuse. But to me, I didn't really understand how abusive this is. And it's coming to grips with the reality that I have been an abusive spouse, that these things I've done have caused um, significant, deep, lifelong, life-altering wounds that um, will heal throughout throughout her life and may never be fully healed. Um, There are things that I can do to help that process. There are also things I can do to hinder the process and make things more 
challenging and difficult and to um, reopen wounds, um, I still um, feel like I want to try and protect Whitney from things. Um, part of that is also doing other work, discovering more about yourself. I did a, a codependency study and really started to understand and, and unpack some of the things that I've um, dealt with in the past of needing to be accepted to wanting uh, that affirmation and needing somebody else to give it to me. And the reality is, is there's things that I just need to say. And however the reaction comes from that, it, it needs to be said. And I, um, there's freedom in that. It's also scary. I get that. Um, but it is a process. We know of other couples who have had very punitive relationships, um, women who have been controlled financially. Financial abuse takes place when um, accounts are frozen, when credit cards are taken away, when the funds are just um, depleted so she has no access to money it removes her freedom from being able to make decisions for herself financially. Um, verbal and emotional abuse, just the constant barrage of you know assault against her character, her person, her nature, the way she functions in the world, how she parents the children. Um, oftentimes we see partners will threaten harm, harm to themselves, harm to the partner, harm to children, family members. Um, we, we know a situation where someone took the spouse's dog because the dog brought comfort. There are things that um, are just unacceptable, abusive things to control the partner and control their outcome that you see in escalating behavior when the abusive partner is losing control. If you experience any of those things, you are in a safe relationship and you cannot continue to work with a partner who is abusive. Safety is always paramount in healing. And if you have to remove yourself from that person, if you have to get other people involved in your situation to make sure that safety is at play in your home, you're going to have to make those hard decisions. A home is not built on the safety for one individual. You have to honestly ask yourself the question, is everyone in the family safe? And if the answer is no, then boundaries have to be created around those behaviors and that person who is not to establish safety for the remaining family members. Nathan, I wonder how you determine to begin to tell the truth consistently. And do you struggle to tell the truth today? For me, as time went on, I could see how detrimental it was not to tell the truth. And it's a process. For me personally, it's taken years to figure out that just coming clean and telling the truth every time at first is just the way to go. Um, last summer, I had a situation where I was forced to make a decision. I made the wrong one to not tell you the truth about something immediately. And I think what I've learned is two things. One, we talked about a little bit ago, the codependency piece, feeling like it's better to, um, to control the narrative, to protect somebody else. That is never the right response. And two, 
what I found out is if I just tell the truth, it's the situation's the same either way. Me telling the truth or not telling the truth does not change the behind story. It just puts us all on the same page. We all have the information. And yes, telling the truth may re- re- involve some negative response that um, will come. But if I don't tell the truth, I'm still going to have that negative response and a whole lot worse. So it has been a journey. Um, today, I feel like, especially like, like I mentioned, working through my uh, codependency work, I've come to realize that that um, acceptance that I think I'm going to have by keeping things to myself does not give me that. And I need to be okay with me no matter what's going on around me. And so through that process, I feel like it's it's become very clear through and through the consequences that you've mentioned. Um, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to experience the consequences of the lie. I'd rather just tell the truth, have the information out there, and then deal with the situation as it is. To me, it's something that we can heal from if we all um, are on the same page, and, and that's where I am today. Um, I think it'll be a lifelong journey for somebody like me who wants to have um, the acceptance of their spouse. Um, but I think it's a process, too, of understanding what's going on in your spouse's um, mind when you, don't, when you don't give that information. And for me, I'd rather just, I mean, we've, we've been through so much. There's so much information that's already been divulged. At this point, there's no point in not giving anything else out that's out there. And then we will have to deal with it as it comes. Telling the truth is a process. It's a choice. It's a journey. And I think a lot of deceptive behavior in our story lies around fear. Fear of abandonment. Fear of lack of acceptance. Fear of consequences. Fear of loss. And as we have processed um, through some of our story together, I think we've both landed on similar conclusions as to why Nathan has acted as deceptively as he has. I think we have also found that telling the truth is paramount, that um, we tell the truth at all times, regardless of the consequences, because we care about each other. We care about each other's outcome We care about preventing damage and and promoting wellness. And for us, um, we know that that is only found when we completely are fully honest with each other. Well, that's about all we have for today. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. And we really are here in the same journey with you. We are struggling day to day still. There's things that we still have are working through and areas of our relationship that uh, we are trying to heal. And so we are here in the, in the thick of it with you, maybe just a little bit further along, maybe not. But we want you to know that you're not alone, that other people do understand and feel the way you do, and that if you need somebody to reach out to, we are here. You can find us um, on our website at unearthingbetrayal.com. We have obviously written a book, as you know, Unearthing Betrayal, and you can find that on Amazon. Um, What we found is that healing can only take place when the truth of our story is spoken. We believe in changing 
the conversations being had around infidelity, sex addiction, and recovery. We hope that by sharing our story, others find courage to do the same. We all stay or go in relationship because of the narrative. We believe healing happens in community. Thank you for joining us today in today's episode. Healing is possible even when it's hard. It does not happen quickly or in the ways we believe it might, but we are here for the journey.